Don't forget, we sell coffee to help support the show. That's right. We have three blends. Weekend Getaway, Summit View, and the brand new to the website, Espresso Blend. So if you want to purchase any of those things and support the show, you can head over to 95adventures.com as well as we have the 22-ounce tumbler right now on pre-order with the logo on it. It is not some cheap tumbler. It is the Bison Cooler tumbler. I have coffee in my 12-ounce Bison Cooler tumbler with the logo on it every single morning. And that's not a joke. Every single morning. I love this thing. It's lasted for two years. I've dropped it. It's fallen off my truck. And this thing just keeps trucking and keeps my coffee warm. So head on over there. Check out any of the new items. Anything that you buy off of there supports the show. And we appreciate you. 95adventures.com. Thank you. Okay. Let's move on to this episode. And first off, I have to shout out the Goat Cave podcast host, Cam. Head over there. Follow the Goat Cave and all that because he's the one that sent me the contact. We're in a conversation and he sends me this contact to show me something. And I look at this guy's page, the guest of this this episode, and I was like, maybe this guy will want to be on the show. This this guy looks rad. He flips houses. He flips old automobiles as well as he is a filmer for BMX and FMX and like not some low-level filmer. He's a big high-level filmer. So he does all sorts of crazy cool things, drives Baja stuff. Anyway, you got to check check out his page. But this guest is one of the most rad people I've had the pleasure of getting to meet. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Sauce the Boss. Okay, there we go. It's all done. Sauce the boss, dude. I looked at That's what I they looked call at me. your um, Instagram page. Somebody sent it to me. They were like, uh, "This guy does a bunch of filming for BMX, right?" And and I'm interested in all sorts of action sports. And I look at it, and the first thing I see is these old cars. It says flipper on it. You're doing some video about how you can sell a house with almost no money or no money or something. And I'm like, what a awesome guy he's like going all over the place doing all sorts of things man yeah yeah i've been at it i've been been flipping and riding and filming and all that shit uh simultaneously for a long time so um yeah i don't know so what been at it for quite a while what uh what got you like wait so is that wait, wait wait did somebody just send you that like recently, because that video you're talking about, I just posted the other day. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they sent me your page, and then that that was like the first video that was on it, and then I went back through, and then I just I almost so someone asked literally. You, what's that? Someone sent you that like a couple days ago. Yes. Yeah. So not only do we not know each other, and we've never had a conversation ever, you also just started. You just discovered who I was like two days ago. Correct. That's that's fucking cool. Yeah, I, for anyone watching this, uh, I actually don't even know your name. What is your name? My name's Aaron. Aaron. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Um, for for anyone watching this, Aaron hit me up like I don't know last night. I was like, hey, you want to do this? Is the extent of what we've said to each other prior to this. Hey, do you want to do my podcast? I said sure. He sends me a Zoom link, and I said, "Cool, see you at 7. <laughs> like that—that's all <laughs> we've said to each other ever. So, um, I just want to preface this whole thing with that. Yeah, then we just get to know each other like face to face while we record it, and then put it on the internet for everybody to hear our getting to know each other conversation. 
Yes, I just wanted to preface it with that because uh, it's. I think most people that um, do a podcast, they like at least kind of maybe know each other a lot of times. So that is definitely not the case here. I don't know. I haven't even so much as scrolled down your Instagram or anything. <laughs> so we're almost in the same boat, realistically. You might have taken a scroll and I didn't. I think that's the only difference. I'll be I like so I tried to look up a few things because I don't like to know a ton about my guests before they come on. That's just the way I roll. Um, I like to just it, let my mind wander and ask questions. That's the way I work. But I tried to at least see like what your real name was and this and like do some research. You can't search sauce the boss or sauce anywhere and get anything. Yeah, you can. <laughs> can you? You so totally can. I if you put it. sauce the boss BMX. Yeah. Put sauce the boss BMX, it will come up. And it'll come up. I even put sauce the boss BMX filmer. I I know you did a cult a cult video because I saw that I saw something on that like you did a didn't you do some filming for the cult crew? Mm, yeah, like uh, probably the most recent one was Eddie Queller, like uh, probably came out a month or two ago. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I saw yeah. like, but yeah, I've done a couple things for them. Yeah, I get, I I saw a couple of them, and I follow the cult crew or whatever because they're like, I don't know, it's just something about them that seems cool. Like the guys and are pretty rad that ride for them and whatnot. So, um, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Now, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't go crazy deep. I Googled it. I look around and I see a bunch of like barbecue sauces, uh, sauce king. And I'm like, why is that showing up? I put BMX in there. Yeah. But then I do know from listening to your podcast with uh, the beginning of the podcast you had with Cam that you were the number one search thing for like a kid, nine-year-old kid falling on a bike or something on YouTube. Fat kid BMX fall. If you type that in, I think I think I still pop up first. Really? On YouTube. <laughs> what what yeah. is I haven't seen the when video. Was, what is I, that all about? When I was just a little ass kid, I don't know. I I've been filming stuff since I was uh I don't know. I'm only twenty three right now, and I think I probably uploaded my first video in like two thousand eight. So what would that be like thirteen years ago? So I was probably like 10, 10 11 in that video. And I've always been fairly thick, except for like when I was like 15, I really got to like fucking, uh, I, I just really wanted to fuck like real bad. So I just lost like 70 pounds, just went on a fucking fucking spree and, and then slowly just kind of gained it back. But other than that, I've been pretty thick my whole life. So I'm pretty happy to, uh, to, uh, hold the crown as number one on YouTube for fat kid BMX fall. I just got to put on for my community. As you can see, it is, in fact, still number one right here in this focus. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're going to just. <laughs> oh. That's right. We got we got 13K on that. 13K on that? that. 10 years ago. Uploaded March 15th, 2010. So, yeah, I was like maybe 12 there. <laughs> that's pretty rad that you stay number one for that thing right there i mean I, at least i'm number one in something and that's a ton of views for just a kid falling on his bicycle it's not even like a crazy epic crash you get right back up 
<laughs> I know it's nothing, but I don't know. I was uh, pretty on top of it as far as like uh, titling stuff and like writing a fairly good description and like doing a shit ton of tags. Like before it was like common knowledge, I think to probably do that. But um, I think the reason honestly is probably just cause I put like a thousand tags on it. Like everything you could imagine from falling and motorsports and freestyle BMX and all, all this shit skateboarding. So that's probably why it pops up first. I mean, it probably pops up if you just type in like, I don't know how to lose weight. I probably put that stuff in there. Like there's <laughs> just everything. I think, I think the tag is what did it. You know? That's that stuff blows my mind, man. Cause it's not like my forte, obviously like talking I'm okay at like meeting people, talking to people. That's fun. Mm. That's fun stuff. This is all the hard stuff. Like the technical things, YouTube stuff. I keep learning as I go. It's fun to learn stuff though. I love to do that. But, uh, you throwing the tags out at such a young age early on in YouTube or, you know, way back then it was, was kind of early on in YouTube. Um, it's kind of wild that you knew yeah. to do that. Did you know to do that or did you just do it? No, I just saw the box and said tags and I probably Googled like, Oh, what's a tag. And then it said, you know, it's stuff, you know, something that could direct someone to your video, like a keyword. So I just like, I don't know, more or less did what I was told by YouTube. Like if they give you the space and I just, just did it. And, and I try to do it well because I was a clout hungry little fucking child. <laughs> But look, it led you to filming BMX, like all these pro riders and making some pretty rad movies. Yeah, that's what it definitely progressed to. Um, as time went on, it was, uh, you know, I've told the story a lot of times on different things, but basically, um, you know, we had a little crew at the beginning. It was like, well, actually at the beginning, it was not so little. It was like, we were like 40 deep everywhere we go because I grew up in more or less the suburbs of LA, I guess. And, you know, not rich, not poor, just kind of like in the middle. So it's kind of this perfect environment where there's a shitload of kids and the parents, you know, not rich or anything, but enough money to like buy their kid a bike. And, you know, there's tons of, tons of schools and stuff nearby. So it was just easy to like squat up like like crazy when we were little and we all started, you know, me and my crew, common crew kind of started like fairly young. So the beginning, it was just a shit ton of people. And then as time progressed, you know, obviously people get girlfriends and cars or just lose interest or or whatever. They get jobs, you know, as time goes on and, you know, the crew whittles down after a while. But um, the, you know, a lot of a lot of those dudes that stuck with it. Um, a lot of my best friends to this day ended up going pro. And I think it was um, probably had something to do with the fact that we were all all in that together. And, you know, we had two filmers, myself and my buddy Francis Castro. And um, so, like, we, we not only had a lot of people to keep everyone else motivated, but also, um, you know, doing a lot of like, filming and, you know, chasing that you know sponsorship and and whatever and we're right in the heart of everything in southern california where all the big companies are and stuff um so you know you can reach out and touch the pros that exist already um it doesn't seem maybe that far-fetched in your head and uh long story short um a lot of those dudes end up going pro and just by the nature of you know them having success i kind of rode along with them because 
You know, I was their filmer from the jump. Yeah, except that you put a lot of hours in filming, you know? Like, you put a lot of effort and there's a, there's a, like a real talent to getting the correct angles and the timing and all that good stuff. And you rode BMX with them, so you know, but also you put a lot of time in filming, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Unfathomable amount of hours into filming. But honestly, I'm not like a like an artisty kind of guy. Like I was never really like one to like geek out on filming. Like I got good at it because I did it a lot, but I wasn't like super crazy, like passionate. Like I wanted to become this like filmmaker or anything. It was just like, you're the fat kid on the block. You can't really ride as good as us. So you better get a new job. And, uh, I found that job with filming. I was always a little bit interested in it. So, um, just kind of started doing it more or less for that reason. And, um, you know, just by the nature of doing it all the time, kind of got, got pretty good at it. And now I would say I'm, you know, not, not half bad. And, uh, like you said, I, I know the angles and, you know, all, all that jazz. Um, but, but yeah, no, never, never really like super crazy passionate about it. Just kind of came from doing it a lot. And that, I was more, inter- more interested in, more interested in just being a part of the crew. And, you know, those are my friends and, you know, I like being out and about like, you know, in LA one day and you're seeing uh, two homeless people fuck on the sidewalk. And then, you know, you're in Beverly Hills the next and you see fucking Range Rovers going by and then you're in Irvine the next day. And, you know, you get busted by the cops like six times. It's just like, I just like the, I just like being out and about and just seeing the world through, through the lens of a, of a bike rider and a little, little hoodlum. So I don't know that that's kind of more so why I was so involved. It wasn't because I was like, you know, trying to make movies one day or get hired by a bike company to, you know, film for them full time or anything like that. That's awesome. You don't even, it's so funny to see, to hear that you don't like like I'm not really crazy passionate about being behind a camera or geeking out. I just want to I just want to hang out with the guys that are doing all these cool tricks and they're all my friends. So I got to do something. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to feel useless. Like I can think of a couple people that used to like hang out with us and um just kind of don't have a purpose. Like you're not you're not in front of the camera. You're not behind it. You're not a photographer. You're not like, you're not really providing anything. And like, if I was in that position, I just don't think I would, ha- I just feel useless. Like I wouldn't, I would just stop coming around probably like that, not yeah. a knock on any of those people. If you think I'm talking about you, but I mean, I would personally, I just feel useless. Like I need something to do. And obviously I got into filming. Like I, I wasn't crazy passionate about it, but like, I got into it and I got good at it and I, you know, enjoy editing and filming and everything. But, um, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of that story. It's kind of funny. (laughs) It's kind of funny that you said like you needed a purpose because that like ties into a bunch of different things in life. Like a purpose is super important for everything that you're doing. Like if you, you need to feel a purpose of something and I know exactly what you're talking about because I've been around those people too that you like, they're just there. And I can think of them and I can see them like, like I rollerbladed in the nineties. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. I can see them there with, it's like, they just rolled around 
and they were there, but they never did anything. And you're like, I don't even know exactly why you're here, but okay. You know what I mean? Like you think <laughs> back about it and you're like, huh, that's so weird. It's a weird concept to me to not feel like you want to be part of it, like, and have a purpose in what's going on in, in the function of this group of people. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It's like, we didn't have a skate park in, in our like city. So it wasn't the kind of thing where like, you know, there's those guys in the skate park that are always just there like drinking fucking forties or, you know, like moping around or, you know, they do a couple of tricks. They sit down all day. Like it wasn't that kind of thing with us because, you know, from a pretty young age, we were like hopping in the car and like going to fucking San Diego one day, LA, you know, Riverside, like going significant, pretty significant distance away from home to go ride and film. And it's like, if you don't have a purpose, you ain't getting in the fucking car. Like we got, we got a limited number of spots here, you know? So if you're going to sit there and fucking dilly dally around, like, like don't get in, like stay here. We'll take someone else, you know? So I, I was filming long before it came to that. Like, I never really faced that like, oh, fuck, I can't get in the car if I don't film. I was already very into it by then. But um, I don't know. Like you said, I, I, like I said, and you reiterated, like we just got to have some kind of purpose or what the fuck are you doing? You might as well go hang out with, I don't know, the chess club or like someone else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the chess club. <laughs> like, like what, what's the point of what's the point of fucking risking getting tickets and injured and you know running around spending gas money and all this shit if you have no purpose right because it's like there's a lot of risk and you know decent amount of money i guess if you're a teenager involved in in doing all that stuff that's a very good point you make there is a lot of risk in it and what's the reward if you're not a part of it you know what i mean like what's the reward if you get busted at a university riding a spot you know, like, okay, now you've got a ticket and you, you weren't even doing anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you got a ticket a for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. At least if you, if you were there for, and had a purpose, you were in front of the camera filming a clip, trying to clip and or behind it or fuck. Even if you're just like the designated spliff roller. I mean, there's a spot in the car for that guy. I mean, then, then at least you were there for a reason. That ticket means something, but <laughs> I'm, I'm actually more curious about the state of the rollerblading industry. What, how did you get into it? Why did you stop? How long was your career as a rollerblader? Why did you stop rollerblading? And what the fuck happened to the rollerblading industry? Because it just evaporated in the, what, mid-2000s? Like how, tell me about rollerblading a little bit. So I was, let's see, I started 90... What was it? 95, 94, 95. I think it was 95. Mm-hmm. Right in the edge of there. And uh, I did it for about three years every single day, dude. Like, it was my life. I loved it. I used to ride BMX, um, did a little bit of dirt jumping and all that stuff. And then this this bike shop had rollerblades. I rented them. And I was cruising around. Saw these dudes carrying, like, this little practice rail over to a mall and... I was like, let's go check that out. What are those guys doing? And so we, me and my buddy went over there and I saw him grind for the first time. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I tell, I've told the story several times, but 
the reason, like what attracted me to it is kind of funny. I, I go, how do you do that? And the guy showed me how to do that and then get my feet on the rail and slide down. So I was like, I'm going to try it. And it went full send and I jumped on and my feet just went straight up in the air. I tailbone the rail, bam, I, I roll over and I'm like, oh dude, I'm doing this forever. That's so awesome. And it took me a little bit. And then I got back up and I, I ended up getting it one grind before we left. And I was like, I don't even remember, but I got all those dudes numbers and we hung out pretty much every day for three years for the rest of that time. Like our entire, that rest of my high school years right there, we're all just eat, sleep, breathe. Uh, I was in an X games and then a NIST competition back in 95, I think the end of that year and then 96, somewhere in there. Um, just one and I wasn't any good, but like those little things right there made me better. Like after skating with the pros and all that, um, helped me improve and our crew improve and all that good stuff. But cause that YouTube didn't exist then. So we had to go like, I'm in deep South Texas by the border of Mexico. Nobody's, there's barely a rollerblading scene. And then everybody else is in California or New York, you know? So mm-hmm. went through all that stopped with, but I kind of kept in touch with a few people that the guys from my past or whatever stopped for a long time. I actually picked it up probably about three or four years ago. Uh, and I've just been doing it. I love it. Like I love, love it. But to answer your question about what happened to the state of rollerblading, cause it was bigger than any of the action sports in the middle of the nineties. Um, there's a lot of rumors as to what happened. One is that a guy who was involved with it, in the ESPN side, uh, basically got mad because a commercial for ESPN, um, a commercial for ESPN didn't have any of the rollerblading in it, and it was big at the time. He was like, I don't know why it doesn't have rollerblading, and he walked out. And the ESPN execs is like, all right, y'all are out of the X Games. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, stories that I've heard. Um, but, I I mean, I don't know. There's rumors that it got too big too fast, too much money was being paid out to everybody because there was money being paid out to, I mean, whoever they could get, they were throwing money at it. It's like if you're a 13 year old bike rider kid and all of your friends, you've got millions of friends that are riding bikes and you're just like, I'll pay you guys $60,000 a year to ride a bike. Cool. Bam, 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 bam. You know? And so there's some people say that did it. I don't know. It's, it's picking up steam right now. There's, a really strong underground scene with it. So that's cool. I'm the only rollerblader in the town that I'm at pretty much. Like there might be another one somewhere, but uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty much a crew of one and I'm 40 years old and I'm out at the skate park with a bunch of little scooter kids. I'm like, I don't know that this is appropriate, but I'm having fun anyway. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I feel like rollerblading is like the SoundCloud rap of action sports. <laughs> like, like the underground scene, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's such a good way to put it, man. And it's funny that you say that you uh, started rollerblading in the parking lot of a mall in the mid-90s because that is like, literally, if I think about the mid-90s, that would be like the picture that comes to mind. Like a like a kid rollerblading, like walking out of the mall with a, with a fucking pair of new wheel sneakers, and like jumping off a curb, like like doing a little like you know fucking I don't know kick out with your feet, and uh, 
like at a mall and then like getting in like his mom's like i don't know oldsmobile wagon or something <laughs> that's like what i picture of the 90s well it's really uh, my mom drove a ford wagon so you're not too far off nice Taurus wagon <laughs> yeah <laughs> rad dude my mom had a Taurus wagon when i was a kid too <sighs> that's awesome oh that is the yeah. perfect picture what what you saw is pretty much it it's pretty much it. Although we did hate, we hated airborne because it was that exact thing that you described where you jump and click your heels to the side. And we're like, that's not it. But Chris Edwards was in it. So we watched it. Like that's the only reason we watched it. He did all the stunts, but we're like, Oh man, that's not at all what we do. <laughs> but it's a, uh, it, yeah, I don't know what happened to it, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing like the I've always, even when, rollerblading was crazy big and I got a chance to go up there and hang out with all those dudes. I spent a lot of time watching all the bike guys, like getting a chance to see Matt Hoffman ride a half pipe and Dave Mira, like a young Mira. And then like all the flat flatland was kind of big back then too. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it stayed strong, but they had like, there was a lot of guys doing it and it was just like rad was my favorite movie as a kid. So, I mean, watching that stuff was like, these guys are insane. Like bike riders have lost their minds. They're not only flying through the air, but they're flying through there with a hunk of metal. that's going to stab them and they're going to get smashed with it. Like it hurts to fall on a bike, man. Oh, it, you're not wrong. Yeah. I've seen, uh, seen the old bike penetrate a few people, but it's, it, it's interesting. You say it could be the X games thing. Cause I think that probably has legs because like, BMX was kind of in the shitter in the early nineties too. I don't know the exact timeline because obviously I wasn't there, but I know that I believe it was the early nineties. It was pretty much in the shitter. And then X games came out in 95, if I'm correct. And kind of helped. I think it was maybe sort of already on its way back, but X games really helped propel it like back to where it was. And then, you know, by the late nineties, you had guys like, like biz Jordan and, you know, um, some guys that are still around today, Jason ends and stuff that, uh, were getting paid like crazy, like you're talking about, like with the rollerbladers, but, um, the difference was maybe that they were in X games and, you know, it was kind of thriving and you weren't like, uh, you weren't, you weren't betting on the money coming in. It was already coming in. So they were actually able to like sustain it for at least a little while. Now, you know, most BMX riders, if you're not like the top, like 10, 20 guys, um, you probably don't get paid that well, but you know, good enough to like, you know, have a little apartment and make a living for sure. Um, so it's interesting you say that maybe it would have been completely different had, uh, had they not had that guy not walked out of that meeting. It might be, I mean, the story kind of makes sense when I heard it and I heard it like, it's like when I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's, it sounds like a dude that would do that. Like, you know what I mean? It sounds like some, it all sounds like something that would legitimately happen and go down that way. Like, yeah, from the execs to ESPN to the guy that walked out, you know, it's like you, you kind of figure, oh man, I can see that whole scene playing out. It's not even like, it doesn't even sound weird. Like this sounds normal. Yeah, no. So I bought it. Um, I buy it. But yeah, that's, 
it's crazy how it just fell off the earth. Like it was hard to get skates. So it's funny how it works because it was hard to get skates because there wasn't enough people buying skates and people are going out of business and just barely hanging on and companies and stuff. Then COVID hits and it's like a resurrection of people buying rollerblades. And all of a sudden there's new companies coming in and people can't buy rollerblades now because they can't keep them in stock because they weren't prepared for everybody to rush and buy rollerblades. So it's like they're struggling with the thought of when this all is over, is it going to, are we going to like, is it going to level off or do we need to hedge our bet and buy more and put more money into this? You know, there's a lot of that talk going around where it's like, how do we build it? But this time not throw so much money into it where we, lose our heads on it and then it all crashes again yeah just don't get in over your head that's that's a serious question i mean the same thing goes for bmx and as far as i know skateboarding too when like this whole covid deal hit it was like uh i know my buddy foo at at epic bmx he had like the best it's probably still going right now to be honest but especially when like all the stimulus checks were hitting and everything like he was having like the best days day after day after day after day like like increasing and he's been in business for 20 years so he's had a lot of good days he's been through a lot of christmases a lot of you know i don't know he's been through a lot of shit he's been there for a long time so for him to be like oh yeah you know this is double what my best day previous ever was like that's insane and not only that he's the most popular bmx shop in at least California, if not like the whole country, um, as far as like you know, mom and pop BMX shops. That's it. It is wild. It's. I mean, it's kind of cool. I like. I mean, I like to see everybody getting back outside and get doing things and picking stuff up that they left behind because they went to some sort of nine to five. I mean, I can speak from experience where you're like, oh, it just is like it's a it's a drag, man. It's a it, like. You don't realize it. You're like, oh, I'm too old to rollerblade. I mean, I'm, or you're too old to ride a BMX anymore. You're too old to skateboard. You've got a job. You've got kids. You, you know, I'm 40 years old. It's, it's like, that's you're not supposed to be playing at the at the park with the kids and hurting yourself because you need to go to work the next day. And then yeah. I, I started doing it again. I'm like, why did I even leave, man? Like, it's who cares? Like that. If I'm going to waste my life away not doing something that I have an, a crazy amount of fun doing, what, I mean, what's what's the point? You know, I never yeah. did it. I wanted to be pro, but I never did it to be pro, if that makes sense. Um, right. It's just the thrill of the actual sport that I love. And so why would I stop doing something like that? It didn't make any sense. I'm like, I fell into the trap that I constantly was thinking never fall into i fell into that trap just gradually without even realizing it and then i'm like oh crap man and that changed but that changed a lot of things what i did in life from that point on it's like build up momentum and doing things that i love and now i'm here talking to you on a podcast yeah i kind of view i kind of not exactly the same thing but i kind of view it like um like how once a car is like you know 20 25 years old the people that wanted it so bad when they were like 16 but couldn't afford it end up you know buying it down the road because now they're like established and they have money and everything so you see like i don't know like what's gone up like crazy the last like year 
I don't know, like E36 M3s and stuff like right now, or, you know, maybe like an Acura NSX or, or I don't know, shit like that. Um, it seems like it just really takes off. It hits like 20, 25 years. All those people that were fucking dreaming about it now have the money to buy it. And it's like that shit just goes off. It hits its, it hits its dip in like 10, 15 years old. But then like 20, 25 years old, it comes back because of that. It's kind of what you're describing um, with rollerblading too, is you kind of like maybe got a job, but then you got your life, you know, we never have it all figured out, but you know, maybe somewhat comfortable. And then you're like, yeah, might as well come back. Right. Yeah. Might as well. Like, why not? You know, why not? What can I give you a tip as a, as a filmer, and um, someone who has framed many things before. Yeah. And you said this was the hard part for you. What you want to do when you're framing this shot is put your head at the top. Get your body in it. I'm sitting here staring at you thinking about how I could just improve the, the quality of this podcast. So I love it, dude. Here we go. How's that? Is that better? That's that's perfect. Do it like that from now on. Okay. <laughs> it's fixed. There it is. That's, See, I need this perfect. sort of help. So I'm going to have to have, like, I don't know if I need to pay a consulting fee or how that works. Yeah, I'm 375 an hour. Three. <laughs> I am. If you want more tips, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to set this, this screen down a little farther, you're going to need a light. I mean, now it's blocking yeah. your face. You got shade, I, don't, you got shade. I don't have the light. All I have is this. I Well, I had kind of a decent setup. I don't didn't have the little ring light or anything, but... Then we decided we were going to have another kid. And so we have another kid and we had that room that I had with the podcast got taken over by the other kid. And so I'm moved in. I'm, I'm in moving spots. Like that's why you see the background is like this and whatever. I mean, you're a mobile podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely a mobile podcast for sure. For sure. (laughs) Even inside my own house, I'm a mobile podcast. Bitchin'. Well, at least now you're framed correctly in yeah. a mobile podcast. And now I know. Now I know to, how to frame it. Head towards the yeah. top so you can see some of the body, right? That's right. Fill up the whole screen. Cool. I got it. Now I just got to get a good camera too where I can zoom it in good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Fuck yeah, dude. But how did you get into the car thing? So you, do you flip cars too or do you just collect them? Uh, No, I, I mainly flip them. I mean, I have a couple that... I keep for myself, but um, mainly all the ones you see, if you scroll down my page are, are mostly flips for the most part. Um, and if you go back to like, I don't know, 2000, I don't know, like the beginning of my Instagram, I was flipping them back then too. So I started doing that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I probably sold my first car when I was like 12. I discovered Craigslist when I was, I don't know single digits somewhere and thought it was like the greatest thing ever. And I don't, I don't think anybody really taught me, but it just like naturally made sense to me that like, if I can buy something for less and sell it to someone else for more then like the Craigslist is the best thing ever. Right. So, um, and I got to thank the realtor actually, I got to thank the realtor that put on the neighborhood garage sale in my neighborhood. They would have it like once or twice a year and that just fucking opened my whole imagination from a really young age. 
But anyways, I think I discovered Craigslist around that time, and I bought like a couple things at the neighborhood garage sale, just rolling around, put it on there, flipped it, you know, made I don't know ten bucks, twenty bucks or something. But I was like super young, so I was like, oh, this is awesome! Like I'm I'm doing this forever, right? So I'm just gonna flip shit forever. This is my job. This is my calling. I fucking love this. So before Gary V was telling you about it, before fucking American Pickers was on TV or like any of that shit, like Sauce was there, eight years old, fucking hustling somebody at a garage sale and putting it on Craigslist and reselling it, right? So that's how it started. And then from there, just kind of like worked its way up to like, you know, from small items to like bicycles um, because we were riding BMX too. Um, and I would buy all my friends kind of old parts and just like put them together, throw a paint job on it and, you know, sell it. Um, from there, maybe like a couple dirt bikes. And then I uh, just started doing cars even before, even before I could drive them. I probably had like 10, I don't know, five to 10 flips under my belt before I even had a license. Um, just because that was like the, I don't know. It was like the logical next step to just go to cars from what I was doing before. And my dad's a mechanic and he's always been into like old cars. So I just kind of came to know about them naturally growing up. And, um, in California, you have to smog vehicles built after 1975 and kind of like, I don't know, it could be a pain in the ass if, if you buy the wrong thing. So I just kind of vowed to like never buy anything made after 1975. Um, number one, just because I I enjoyed the earlier stuff more, and also uh, just because I didn't want to deal with the smog. So yeah, I mean that's kind of how how that progressed and got started, and um, why they're all old cars specifically. If you look, yeah, no, that I and I even saw your Baja Bug, and uh, that thing it said like powered by miata and i'm like dude how cool is that thing that thing that's awesome oh, dude that's a keeper that one that one's just fun to go fuck around with i just bought that a couple weeks ago but i don't have any intention of flipping that one that one strictly cheap fun cheap fun i bought it for like four grand it's miata powered bob bug so it's got like double the horsepower a volkswagen motor would have and it's built by the japanese which Typically, I'm not fond of, but in this case, I just wanted to be turnkey and bulletproof. So the Japanese are pretty good at that, right? So um, I'm hoping that thing's just bulletproof and I can just go smash in the desert and have fun with it for, uh, you know, without wasting a shit ton of money on like a long travel, you know, buggy or something. Yeah, it looked like a ton of fun. My first vehicle was a 74 Super Beetle. Um, so yeah, I, I like, I loved driving that thing, man. It was so much fun, like so much fun. So when I saw it, I was like, dude, that's so cool, man. And you know, you can modify them however you want, which is kind of cool. Like they're kind of like old Jeeps. You can just, they're just basically like a frame. You can put whatever you want in there and run around in it. And so that was, it was, it was cool to see like that. It was like, oh man, that's rad. People build fucking replica Porsches on top of them. Yep. Shit. I mean, it's literally like platform to do with as you please. But my biggest struggle is going to be not 
wasting a ton of money on it because I don't want it. I don't want it to get out of hand. I don't want to start buying two thousand dollar long travel suspension and or not even two thousand, more like I don't know six or seven thousand by the time you're done. But you could real easily get into that mode where you're like, well, since I did this, I got to do this, and because I did that, I got to do that. So like, my goal with that is just to keep it cheap and and just go smash and have a good time and not end up accidentally spending 30 grand it's my goal <laughs> that's your goal that's a good goal to have that's a really good goal i accidentally spent 30 grand i don't even know where it went it's in the garage or out back well, i don't mean all at once obviously i'd notice then but if you go you know 500 here a thousand here 400 here whatever all of a sudden you look at your receipt book and you're like holy fuck, I'm $28,000 into this thing or, you know, whatever it is. So doing all those flips, I got pretty good at keeping track of all the numbers. So I'm very conscious about that. And I'd just like to say, I never lost money on a single one of those flips. I think I have about 40 under my belt on the cars. Worst I ever did was break even. So That's impressive, dude. It, it's how you buy it, not how you sell it. Yeah, but you got. I mean, but it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But you have to have that eye to recognize what you're buying. People ask me about shit like that. To me, it's kind of like common sense. But I, not to sound like a fucking douche here, but like to me, it's sort of common sense. It's like if you know about anything, you know, whether it's tap dancing shoes or you know, I don't know, buying paper in bulk, like. If you know about it, you can spot a good deal when you see one, right? So yeah. my only job as someone who wants to flip something is to become familiar with whatever market it is and be able to spot that deal so that I don't have to like, you know, go running numbers on every fucking thing that comes online. Right. So like if I'm I still to this day, I don't flip that many cars anymore. But to this day, every night I go home, I still it's like O C D. Like I have I have to check it like or like FOMO like I'm I'm fearful of missing out I will go on Craigslist offer up Facebook marketplace fucking everything and I'll run through the same things that I know about well um or, or know kind of a lot about which is pre-1975 cars and most of these sites have a posted today option so I'll click posted today and then just put in you know everything pre-1975 cars you know early motorcycles, like porcelain, old vintage signs and stuff, uh, VX cameras. You know, I have like my list of things that I just go through, see what popped up for the day, you know, and and even right now I, I'm passing on some things that I would probably go get if I wasn't as busy as I am. But, uh, but yeah, to this day, I it's not my main source of income anymore, but I have to have to check it and i'm not against making an extra couple grand if something pops up or a few grand you know well is is the housing thing your main source of income oh yeah now yeah but that's the same thing you're flipping those aren't you for sure yeah pretty much the same exact thing a lot of fucking big words and shit that you gotta (laughs) learn (laughs) but but other than that i mean it's more or less the same thing you got you got to deal with like escrows and 
you know, it's a bigger asset. So people are a little more hesitant to just, you know, sell it at a discount to you. Like they want to make sure they're really getting as much as they can, especially out here where it's like, you know, some of these people paid like 18 grand for their house in 1970 and it's worth 750,000 now, even though they didn't take care of it at all. You know, it's a complete pile of shit. So like when people do sell, it's not like you're in fucking North Carolina and the house is worth less than your car. Like people are, are pretty careful about selling it and they go through the motions, you know, for the most part, most people. So it's, it's a little more involved for sure. And, you know, a diff- little bit different process, but more or less the same thing. Yeah. You just leveled up and you're, you know, you leveled up in your flipping. That's what I've been doing since I found, figured it out. You know, like, like I said, from the first thing is just like, I don't, I think the first thing I ever sold on Craigslist was, uh, like a metal, like a, one of those little ass red skateboard rails, like the adjustable ones, like somebody, like the neighbor kid down the street or whatever had it. And I don't know, I sold that. So it started with the fucking, a rail on Craigslist and it's come to the houses, but the, through all of that, it went to motorcycles and dirt bikes and then cars and then more expensive cars and now here so it's just taking the logical next step you know every every few years i guess so what do you do with the houses like are you do you hire people or do you do the work yourself on there you have a whole like system where you buy them and flip them around like what what do you what how do you typically do those sort of things i mean are you like a regular like are you going to be like a we love to watch uh our family loves to watch all the, the uh, HGTV stuff. So you're like hometown chip gains over here where you're like redoing a house and flipping it. Or is it quicker than that? Uh, it varies just depending on the property, but there's basically three ways I look at every, every deal we come across. And some of these are off market. Some of them are on market, like, you know, on the MLS. And um, basically I look at it first and foremost as a rental and I'm not really in a position to, to buy rentals personally right this second. Um, just because I don't have proper tax returns for the last couple of years because flipping car is kind of a cash business. Right. So, and I haven't been doing this for terribly long time, but, um, I don't have the tax returns to prove that I can, I can buy these places, even though bank account would say otherwise, And, um, so, but first of all, I look at him as a rental because my partner, the guy I work with, he, he's all about that. He's got like, you know, 50 rentals in California. And, um, if it works as a rental, you definitely want to keep it as a rental. Um, but most things in California don't work as rentals unless you get them. You got to buy them really smart. Let's just leave it at that. So the majority of them don't really work as that. Next thing I'll do is look at it as are kind of two different lenses. How much can I make if we flip it? And how much can I make if we wholesale it? And the flip is obvious. It's like HDTV type of stuff, right? You, you go on with the crew and fix it all up and everything. Um, and to answer your question about if I'm doing it, nah, I, I think my time is better spent um, looking for more deals and talking to people and, you know, doing that side of the things. Um, and we, we have a couple crews that, that do the flips. Um, 
And then, you know, like I was saying, you just look at it through two different lenses. Do you want to flip it, do that, or do you want to wholesale it? Wholesale it essentially means that you acquire it, like you get the contract um, as if you're going to buy it. You sign it with the, the homeowner, the seller, whatever. And um, from there, you can just assign the contract or, or sell the contract to a different flipper. So, you know, if you get it, say you got something at, you know, 300 grand and, you know, it's worth, I don't know, it's, it's worth 450 and some guy's willing to take 130 spread. You can sell it to him for 320, make a quick 20 grand by just shuffling some paper and you don't have to go. To, I just sold one this, I just did that this week on one. I didn't go to it. I didn't talk to the homeowner. I didn't do anything somebody else brought it to me like, Hey, I can't sell this. Like, can you, I, I need it sold. I put down a $3,000 non-refundable deposit. Can you sell this? And I'm like, yeah, I'll call some of my guys. I call some people and sure enough, fucking guy had it under contract at 195. I sold somebody for 210, and, uh, I didn't even have to fucking talk to the homeowner on that one. Like that was as easy as it gets, as easy as it gets right there. So, uh, kind of just see what avenue is best. You know, if we can make a quick, a quick 20, 30, 40, 50 grand, whatever, just doing a wholesale where we shuffle some paper, um, then let's do that. Or, you know, if it's a, if it's a fairly easy one, like it doesn't have any like major structural issues or, or just stuff that's going to like drag out the process, um, you know, liens against not liens, but like, you know, city violations and like shit like that. If, as long as it's not something like that and we can get in and out fairly quickly, then, then we'll look at, you know, look a little harder at flipping it. So it's, it's kind of the, the flipping industry when you're like, listen to you talk and you're like, it's just kind of like common sense. Um, my brother's really good at it. Like he's really good at doing stuff like that too. And one of the biggest things, like his biggest asset to doing that is not being emotionally tied to the thing. Like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people, when they go in to buy, you know, you started with cars and, or, you know, further than that, but like when people start buying cars and dirt bikes and motorcycles up to houses, they get emotionally tied to an idea of what they want. And so they want it to be worth more than it is, or Mm -hmm. they want this particular style. So they'll pay more than what they probably should have for that thing. And then they yeah. hold on to it until they get what they think it's worth in their mind. You know what I mean? I don't have that in me. That's That doesn't exist. I know it exists in other people, though, which is, I think, what makes it me fairly good at, at flipping things is because I know I, I don't have them personally. But in my head, I know, like, oh, dude, like, you know all original one owner car, like with full receipts and, you know, like the whole thing, like somebody's going to pay me five grand extra, extra for this car strictly because I have the receipts. It's a one owner, you know, all this bullshit that I really don't fucking care about, but I know someone does or with the house, you know, it's a Spanish style in this certain neighborhood or whatever. It's like, yeah, the Spanish style ones go for 30 grand more than the other ones. Like, and I don't know, just shit like shit like that. But yeah, I do not have that bone in my body. I don't get attached to anything. I was, every single thing I own is for sale. 
and at a fairly reasonable price, probably. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you. It, it sounds like you're making money, not ripping people off, but you know what the thing is worth I mean, because it, you're not emotionally tied to it. Pretty much. I mean, the the thing that they're trading to me, they're essentially trading equity for speed and convenience. Is all it is. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna make your life really fucking easy. It's the same thing as going to a pawn shop. It's the same thing as selling your car to CarMax or trading it in instead of selling it to a private party. It's like all the same fucking thing. CarMax is going to pay you less than the guy on fucking Craigslist will pay you. But what do you get? You get speed and convenience and you're done over with. You don't have, and in, in this instance, the homeowner granted, not all of these are off market, but a lot of them are the homeowner doesn't have to, hire a realtor they don't have to pay closing costs they don't have to fix the place up they don't have to if they there's a bunch of junk in there they don't have to move the shit out you don't even got to sweep like you don't have to do anything and the process takes 10 days instead of two months three months or whatever you know so it's it's a trade-off like anything else yeah you're gonna give it to me cheaper but i'm providing you a service by doing it quickly and efficiently and you know relieving you of your headache like that, you know? I understand that because I've had to do that before with the house. And the house was nice, Grant. It was, like, taken care of. It was a nice house in a nice, nicer neighborhood. But I need, I had to get, like, I had to get out of it. Like, I needed to get out of it and fairly quickly, right? So I needed something yeah. to happen. And I didn't really have the time or anything to deal with finding a realtor, listing it, all that stuff. I wanted it to just, I needed it to just go. Like I needed yeah. to move on from, from this thing. And, uh, and this guy that kind of does what you do, but he's a realtor and, and, but he does the same thing and he lives in them for like two years and then he flips them or whatever, but he'll buy different properties and rent them. And he's trying to build his business. He came, he just happened to drive by and see my sign. He came over and he's like, Hey man, what do you want for it? I go, honestly, this is what I, I said. Don't try to lowball me because I'm going to lowball you right now. I, this is what I want. This is what I need. Um, if yeah. you can give me this, you'll make me very happy. And the guy was like, yeah, not a problem. It's like, sweet. Let's do it. He goes, I'll write up all the paperwork. Here you go, bam. Done. Deal was done. I was, I'm like as happy as I can be. I could have got so much more for the thing, but at like, even looking back on it, I go, man, I'm really thankful that Drew came by my house and saw that sign because that helped me out with a smooth transition in life. And I'm like, I like yeah. this. This is perfect. Yeah. So yeah, you get it. I mean, not, not a lot of people do. I mean, we, I spent the first, I don't know, like several months that I was doing this cold calling, like nonstop. And you just hear everything in the book when you're cold calling. Right. So it's like, people just calling you a monster and you're, you're <laughs> it and like, you know, you're taking advantage of people and you're, you know, gentrifying the neighborhood and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, bro, everybody I've ever done business with though is like, not only are we close at the end, like tight, like they're thrilled to, to do business with us. And I always just said to those people, I was like, I mean, if you ask, if you ask the, the last three homeowners, I, I bought from, they'd probably say differently. And it's like, nobody's forcing you to do it. Right. Like I'm just, I'm making you an offer. Like you can take it, you can leave it. 
if you're in the right situa- situation, if we're a good fit for each other, if it makes sense for the both of us, then it makes sense for the both of us. I'm not fucking forcing you to take this offer, you know? So that's, that's what it is. Granted, I try not to give offers. I try to have them give me the price first. Cause I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to spill my candy in the lobby. I don't want to, I don't want them to know my price. I want to know your price, <laughs> but still, <laughs> you know, like, the, uh, the crazy thing about that cold calling stuff. And I, I'm in sales. I have been in sales for quite a long time. Um, and I mean, if you're a commissioned salesman, when you eat what you kill, that changes your whole mindset on how you do things in your process and learning how not to be afraid of going and asking somebody for like you're saying cold calling. Like how many people would just go and it's like, hey, how much you want? You like, what are you thinking for this house? Like you want to sell your house? You want to sell your house? You want to do business? Like, and you said they get mad at you and then you move on to the next house. Like. Nothing happened yeah. to you. They didn't hurt your. They, they didn't hurt you. They just yelled at you, right? Called you some names, and then it's gone. Yeah. But like, the amazing thing is the fear of somebody being able to call somebody they don't know. We're talking on two days' notice, the both of us together, on yeah. and we're putting this out to the internet where people can hear it. And mm-hmm. there's people who are scared to do it in private, just to walk up and say, "Hey, like." I want the I want to do business or I've got an idea or how much do you want for that house? I know it's not for sale, but would you be willing to sell it? You know, what's your price? People wouldn't even do that. They'd be suit like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm too scared. But because you're one of the people that is willing to break that little barrier, you make money doing it. Pretty much. And that's like that's the ultimate test in my opinion, is the the cold calling because you're not face to face with anyone. There's no real danger. So you can't give me a legitimate excuse as to why you can't do it. Right. If you're like, and and I'm thinking this now because like I'm helping some other people kind of like get started. And, um, the success rate is probably like, fuck, like half a percent, like a quarter of a percent, like, like so many people that get into it, they just get discouraged in the first, you know, month or two of, of trying and just kind of like let it fall by the wayside. Um, but like, I just, I've been, I've been more or less training, kind of like coaching, helping this, this kid, um, that comes into the office. I'm sitting in the office right now. Um, that, that came in and he was working for free and basically just like, a what do you call him a, uh, intern intern. Yeah basically interning and um, just trading his time for, for knowledge. And, and for us, obviously he was trying to drum up business. So uh, I kind of just went through the whole process of teaching him not too long ago and continually helping him, you know, every day pretty much, but he just got his first deal yesterday. So shout out to Max wise, cool kid. And uh, he's like, He's a couple years younger than me. He's like 21 or 20. He's 20, I think. And uh, just got his first deal, $28,000 deal for a 20-year-old. He's going to make his cut of it. He'll make half of what he made all of last year for, for you know, a couple days' work. Dude, how can you survive on that in California? I, He's lives with his parents and you know probably doesn't have that many expenses 
That's wild. But man, shout out to him. That's awesome that he's hustling like that. It that's another thing that takes a lot is to go and work for free and to learn something and to, that's committed. Like you're committed. When you're doing well, that's that, what I was getting, that's what I was getting at is like, I expected when he came in first person that we've, I mean, I guess it wasn't a hire, but like first person that me and my partner Mark have brought on other than just me and him going at it. And I had, I was almost certain that like we were going to have to go through like four five, six, ten. I don't know. However many people, to find somebody that would stick with it. Right. Cause like so many people are just, it's just the nature of the beast. Like they're just going to bail. Like they can't take it. They can't take the heat. Like, and we had this motherfucker cold calling for like two months straight. The first whole first month I had him on like a dud of a list. Like we have these lists of all these homeowners. I had him on a fucking dud. Like I had gone through it. Like, 20 times myself like it was it was dead it was a fucking dead beat to hell and i just had him on that one just like knowing in the back of my mind like there's almost no chance you get anything from that one like it's it's just it's a dead horse like you're beating a dead horse and uh but i just want to see you know like his tonality like how he talked to people if he was any good um and just also you know, the, the 20th time you call it, it, a lot less people answer than the first time. So I just wanted to see if he would like, if he would like deal, how he would deal with that. And like, would he persevere? Would he bitch about it? Like, what's his, what's his style? Right. So the first month I just had him doing that. And after the first month, I was like, damn, he might really stick with it. And then I gave him some good lists after that. And he started getting some traction and being able to talk to people, you know, have like real conversations with them. And uh, at that point he kind of like, knew you know some of the terminology and stuff so he sounded like he sort of knew what he was doing and uh then from there um had him doing at this point he does that a little bit and he also does um like a lot of just making offers to agents like on market stuff which is a whole different beast in itself um kind of a different process than the the off market ones like like you said you sold um but but anyways yeah he got this one on market dealing with an agent, which is actually harder in my opinion. And, uh, he's good. You know, work company will make 28 grand and he'll get a, a good chunk of that. So, um, I'm, I'm stoked for him. And I, I was surprised what, where I was going with that is I'm surprised the first guy we got stuck with it was where that was going. Well, it, it's, this is one of those things. Everybody wants to be a realtor because they see the successful realtor and they want to be a realtor. I'm not a realtor. No, but I'm I'm, I'm using it as an example. I know you're not a realtor, okay, but what okay, I'm saying is like okay. I've known lots of them and it seems like your industry like what you're doing is not something that you just you walk in and you learn it and then all of a sudden you start making money. Like anything like like being a realtor, when I talked to I looked into it and I had some really good friends super successful I say, like, "Hey man, what do you what does it take?" He was like are you ready to live in your like your mom's basement for five years and not make any money? Because it takes a while for your to get your name and to go and to do this. Like it takes a while. You gotta be you gotta put a lot of hours in to get to a spot where you're just making money. He goes, yeah. you know, like once you get the ball rolling, it gets easier and easier, but it takes a you know, it takes three to five years of no money to make money. And like how many people are willing 
you got to really love being a realtor, the job itself to stick it out for three years doing that sort of thing. And so that's what like your thing right there. A lot of people might say, I might, I I'm listening to you and I'm going, dude, I'm going to go out and I'm going to flip stuff because it's easy, right? Sauce does it. He makes it sound easy. I'm going to go out and do it. It's like, no, Sauce has put in a lot of time selling a red rail when he was a kid to now and cold calling and beating down doors and knows what he's doing. Like you put in the hours and what people don't realize is like you made that comment is why I'm saying this. You made the comment about people like losing interest and fading away. It's like, how long could you do it for no money? And then, you know, if you would really love what you're doing. Yeah, I did it for, I think it was probably, I forget exactly, four or five months before I got my first one. And I didn't even have anybody teaching me really. Like it was, I had my partner, Mark. I mean, he's, he's an old timer. He's got a ton of rentals. He's got 400, you know, flips under his belt and everything. But the way he was marketing, it wasn't like cold calling. You know, he, he doesn't really have like, like current, like modern sales experience like that. Like he did door to door sales like 30 years ago or something. So he knows like, he knows the basics and everything, but I didn't have anybody to watch that was like, Oh, this guy just did it in front of my eyes. Like, like it's possible. Like, you know, and, and I can hear him on the phone, like what he's saying and everything. Like it was kind of just like YouTube, you know, partially Mark. I mean, he had, he definitely had some good, good tips and everything, but, um, he's not like in the cut, like doing it like I am, you know? So, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. And I think it took like four or five months to get the first one, but fuck, lucky, <laughs> lucky for me, lucky for me, I, uh, I have that like flipping experience. So like I could still flip things on the side yeah. and, you know, make a little money and get by. I've never had a normal nine to five job personally. It's always just been flipping stuff. So I'm confident no matter what happens in life, I'll always be able to get by just, just by having that. So even though I was here 12 hours a day, like making calls and just like chasing deals and whatever, I still, you know, fit in enough time to, you know, flip a fucking tailgate or like part out of Volkswagen or something like, you know, so, so I could, you know, put gas in my car and shit in the time being. And I think people, if they're going to do something like that, need to consider that ahead of time, whether it's like signing up for Uber or, or, you know, getting your flip on or saving up some money prior so that you can, you know, live on it while you're experimenting, I guess. Something to think about because it's probably not going to happen real quick unless you have, you know, unless you're coming from like a realtor background and you're already experienced and you go into that, may- maybe then, but otherwise be prepared one way or another to eat shit for, you know, several months. It's kind of wild to hear your story and then to realize like you've been doing this your entire life from when you're like the same sort of thing with trying to get into the bike crew. Like you needed to get in the bike crew, uh, to go to the places to hang out with your buddies and you needed a purpose and you started filming stuff like you know, you, yeah. you learn how to film stuff and then you got in that car, you're riding, you're going to the places and you're making yourself productive. And it's, you've been doing that forever just from childhood experiences, man. It's like in your blood to, it's like a habit to figure out how to make things work. 
I think that that's that's selling right there. The bigger problem you solve, the more money you make. So, yeah, I I guess so. I I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, I guess. No, normally you don't. It's like I can see that because you're telling me your story. Like I'm listening to the whole thing. I'm like, man, this dude's like, he's yeah. done that his whole life. Like he's done that, he's done it his whole life. He's just done it, you know. But to you, it's yeah. like it's normal. It's everyday life. Like it's just what you do. There's nothing special about it. It's just you go about your life. Like I want to go make a sale. It gives me a it gives it fulfills me. I've got a purpose. I'm doing a job. I'm making people happy. I'm fixing problems. Go home, make some money, live a good life. Yeah. And I, I got to say too, that like, I thought that from the jump, like when I was a little kid, I, I, I just thought like, Oh, like I'm going to make, it wasn't like a question. It was like, Oh, I'm going to make a lot of money. Like that's, it's like a given, like I'm, it's obvious to me in my head, like I'm going to right. And being in BMX and around that type of crowd, not to knock them, you know, I love, I love, the whole BMX community and I'm friends with everybody, but like, I think it had some level of negative effect on my like thought process about money and stuff. Cause I was fucking broke. Like even the, <laughs> like a lot of the pro riders and shit are broke. So it's like, they have this like kind of, I don't, I don't know, like the bad money sense and, and kind of like talk down at times on people that like have money. And I, it, it definitely did something to my brain that I had to snap out of like I was I don't I can't really describe it well like it did something in my brain though where like I I was starting to feel that way like a little bit you know like like uh never fully sucked in you know I the old me was still in there like they could like oh you're fucking crazy but like some part of me somewhere in there just wanted to be like oh no just you know just like just fucking flip flip bikes and signs and just like get by, you know, like, like that's all you need to do, whatever. But like, and it took a while to like break that. And I'm still kind of breaking it right now, but like, it's just that, like that little kid in me thinking like, Oh, you're going to make a, you're going to make a shitload of money. I'm like bypass the retarded stoner teenager and (laughs) fucking do what's right for that little kid. You know, like, that's that's what I gotta tell myself. <laughs> but oh, dude, that's awesome, man. This has been an absolute blast, Sauce. I've had I've had a great time, dude. You are a rad dude. Thank you, Aaron. You too. Hey, thanks, thanks, man. Even if I rollerblade, even if I'm kick, clicking my heels in the air off the edge of a curb, <laughs> I'm not hating on it. I'm not hating on it. I'm I'm all for it. I, I, if I was like a salty, like, like 15 year old angry teenager right now, like I'd probably say you're fucking gay, but, <laughs> but nah, it's tight. Scooters are tight. Bikes are tight. Skateboards are tight. It's all fucking tight. That's the way and I view so. it, man. That's the way I view it. Dude, sauce. Thank you for being on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, give a shout out to, I guess if you want to shout out your business or anything, I mean, it's up to you. Uh, if you got a piece of shit you want to sell, give me a call. Or I guess DM me at Sauce the Boss, and um, shout out to the Common Crew and uh, Home Brand Properties. I guess so. That's that. And thank thanks for for having me on. I don't even know the name of this podcast. Where do I even find it? Like what? <laughs> Nine Five Adventures. No Nine Five Adventures. I'll send you the link for sure. But oh, 
deal. Let me take a quick fucking photo here so okay. that I can post it uh, when we're when we're live here. <laughs> Sorry, man. You got well, my squinty eyes too. <laughs> Every time I wait, smile, I was whoo. fuck. I was smiling, dude. That's kind of off brand. I gotta. I gotta do it. <laughs> You're off brand to smile. <laughs> You're off brand to smile. (laughs) Yeah. I got to get back on the Instagram shit, dude. I haven't been posting anything just because I've been like locked in fucking. Yeah. Trying to figure out this this whole real estate game. I haven't been posting shit. Like even my progress really with the real estate too much just because it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not one to like talk to talk before I walk the walk. So. Even now that I've done quite a few deals, I'm still like hesitant. Like, well, that guy's done like a hundred though. But I forget that like to the guy who's done zero, I probably know a lot. So I got, I got to get back on there and fucking keep, keep posting shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Cause I, I, like I said, you just one look at your side. I'm like, that guy's rad, man. I, I want to have him on the podcast. That'd be so much fun to talk to that guy. I, I, I appreciate it. And sorry, I'm going to let you go. I know you're kind of closing it up there, but I just have a quick question. Go for it. No, like what, go for it. What type of people do you have on this here podcast? Like, like is, it, is there like a theme or is it just like whatever? So I chose the hardest route to get a popular podcast, and that is to have everybody I'm interested in on the podcast. So it's like a wide variety of everybody. If I had to – People ask me to classify it. It sounds weird to say it out loud. Like it sounds kind of cheesy. It's like a lifestyle podcast, I guess, if you wanted to say it. But it's really like I've had Rick Thorne on the podcast. I've had uh, I've had a guy that won the uh, Ultra Six Six Three Three in Antarctica. It's a three hundred and eighty seven mile race, self sustained across there. I've had um, CrossFit athletes on. I've had professional rollerbladers on. You name it, like businessmen. I've had cops on. I've had investors on. It's just, it is a wide variety of, you know, just anybody that I'm interested. If I look at somebody, I go, man, I'd really like to talk to that person. That's who I'm gonna have on, and I'll ask them. You know, so that's that's how I would want to do mine too. Like if I was ever gonna do one, I don't have any time right now. But if I was gonna do one, that would be the way I'd do it too. Like I don't, I don't give a fuck. If, if it's the right for the YouTube algorithm at this point, you know, contrary to how we started this with the tags and ch- chasing the clout <laughs> yeah. at this point, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the YouTube algorithm. I don't give a fuck if I get even one follower from this. I just want to have a good conversation with, you know, whoever this person is I'm interested in and, and effectively get to pick their brain without asking them to pick their brain because a lot of people don't like being asked if you can pick their brain, especially like, like investors and like rich guys and stuff. Yeah. Just tip to you or anybody out there. Don't ask them if you can pick their brain. That's like the least, least favorite question among any fucking rich, like investor dude or anybody. Cause everybody wants to pick their brain or take them out to coffee or whatever. Like the guy I work with. Oh my God. He gets so mad. People ask him to not mad, actually mad, but he's just like, bro like no i don't want you to pick my like give me something in return like that's why i started charging some like a uh, uh, consulting fee like i was talking about so well i mean 
I this is what I love is that I learned so much about improving my life. It's not in the same area. I'm not going to go flip houses. That's not what I'm going to do. Yeah. But like every conversation I have with people like this, I learn. And I do I do the same thing that I'm doing on this podcast. If I was in person, like if I was meeting you for the first time, hanging out with your BMX crew at the at a skate spot or a riding spot or whatever, you know, like if I was out there and I saw you, I would start up a conversation and just talk to you. Like and just you know, if you want to say pick your brain, if you want to call it that, like I like to know people's story. They're fascinating and I can learn so many things about how to improve my life as a fundamental that yeah. like I'm like, man, people were are so unique and special, like the way they think and created and their ideas that I'm like, I can soak up all this knowledge from them. And then hopefully something I have to say back to them helps them out. And like, I can be this person's friend. Like it's, it's an awesome, that's just an awesome thing. That's why I love the podcast so much just cause I get to, you know, it's an excuse for me to invite people on and talk to them. That's the biggest, that's the sickest part about a podcast really is just the getting to know whoever you want to, whoever your desire, whatever you want to know about. It's like, Oh, let me just, especially when you're a little bit bigger of a podcast, it's like, Oh, I'm kind of interested in a uh, fucking science this week. Let me just call Elon Musk or let me call this <laughs> fucking guy. Like, and there's no better way to like retain all that information than to have a conversation one-on-one with somebody like, and have it on video. Like how, how are you going to learn better than that? And like you're saying, you, you, I mean, you get a nugget or like you learn something from everyone, right? Like, I don't know if I, if I thought about it, I probably did learn something talking to you, but one thing that, uh, one thing that you just made me think of talking to you and who knows where it could lead is when we were talking about malls in the nineties, like an hour ago. And I was thinking, you know, as we were talking through this whole thing, I'm just like, huh, malls. And I've had this thought before, like, what are we going to do with all the malls when they all shut down? Right. And like, because it's going to happen. Like, what are we going to do with all those? And I've thought, thought about that a lot. Like, what are the opportunities there? And I don't know why, but when you said mall, it like clicked in my head and I was like, like, Oh, you make an old folks city in there, like a town for old folks that has like on site, like, emergency room if someone has like a heart attack you got all your stores in there you got you like you live there like it's like apartments built in with stores and like doctors and emergency room and you got an on-site like uh fucking uh what do you call it ambulance to go to the hospital like if you need to and like fucking shuffleboard 24 hours a day like 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 you make a fucking town like a town, like you, you can buy, you could sell your house and buy a condo or rent an apartment or whatever in this place. And it's your own fucking old people world. Like, like everything you could possibly want as an old person. And I don't know that cross. I was thinking about that the whole time we were talking. That sounds like the I, most rad nursing home of all time. It, it not necessarily i don't know i this i'm just spitballing here but like not necessarily a nursing home is my thought but just like um you know how they have like old folks communities yeah like 55 plus kind of thing yep it's like you could have that but all inclusive like you pay x amount every month and you eat as much it's like a cruise you eat as much <laughs> as you want like you can see the nurse like every, i mean there's fucking there's guys like i mean it's safe as fuck i mean 
no one's ever going to break into your house. You know, no one's ever going to jump you at the fucking liquor store or the, the Chinese food restaurant or like whatever. And, and yeah, I don't know. Kind of crossed my mind. I wanted to timestamp that on here just in case I ever like buy a mall and create an old folks home so that I could say on March 4th at 8 24, I, I had this thought. So <laughs> I just wanted to say it on here before we bailed. It is actually a fantastic idea. It, it sounds like an aw- I'm just picturing the amount of like Miller High Life that's going to be drank at the bar at that place. Oh my God. Yeah, it's got to have a pop. It. Do you know how much pussy? some of those old guys are going to get like they start losing their mind. All they know, Oh, they know a couple things. Like I've met a couple old guys like this. I've talked to a lot of old guys in my life, buying these old cars and driving route 66 and doing all kinds of shit like that. And let me tell you, they want, they only want a handful of things when they get older. They want, or they actually not want, they only know a couple of things when they get older. It might not be your name. might not be how many kids they have. Might not be anything like that, but they know that they want to fuck. Like <laughs> at least, at least some of them, at least a good chunk of them. Like they don't know much, but they they know they want to fuck. Some of them, you know, maybe they're not as maybe they didn't their uh, their cock didn't make it as long as the other ones. But God, if yours makes it and you're in the old folks' home, whew, not all of those things work. So you're getting a lot of tail in there. Dude, yours is my parents went, my dad was an administrator uh, and my mom was director of nurses. They went like a package to uh, nursing homes and facilities like that. And you're not lying at all, dude. Like the things that they have dude. seen and know, like, it's like, wow, bro. <laughs> dude, I heard, oh my God. I heard it's like an STD super spreader in there. Like, they're just passing them around, dude. <laughs> That's pretty true. <laughs> it can be. It can be very true. That's not That's not a lie. That's not a lie. Uh, it's, it's, wa- know, it's a wild mess, man. They're here. just like, oh. I'm old. It's time to have fun. I got nothing else to do in here also. Like, I'm tired of playing fucking checkers. Like, <laughs> I'm done with this. Let's fuck. Yeah. My kids don't want to come see me. They stuck me in this place. You know what? There's a bunch of ladies in here. <laughs> yes. And the STDs are running rampant, but I'm on my damn near on my deathbed anyway, so who gives a fuck? <laughs> Pretty much is my understanding of old folks homes. So, I think you just I think you just sold old folks homes to anybody who's thinking about going in one. You probably just sold them on it right now. <laughs> we're going to use this for an ad for my my new small city, my mall city in Your mall 5 years. City. You're yeah. on death doorstep. Come have fun. If you're on death doorstep and your dick still works, get the fuck into Sauce's old fucking people emporium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. We'll promote safe sex. There'll be like uh, condom dispensers everywhere. Oh, that's a good way to come back from that. Yeah, yeah. We'll put, we'll put a lot of condom dispensers now. Up to you if you use it. I'm not going to force anything upon anybody, but it's we're going to promote it. It's a free country in Sauce World. It is. It sure fucking is. And uh, <laughs> it might not be outside of those walls, but in Sauce World, it's a free fucking country, okay? <laughs> I don't care who's in office. I don't care who the fuck, where this place goes. It's a free country in Sauce World. 
That's the best, oh. dude. That's the best. All right, now that we're now that we're done talking about old people transmitting STDs, I, I'm I'm good now. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Man. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Please don't forget to go follow Sauce at Sauce the Boss and head over to the website and purchase some of the great coffee and the pre-order on the tumblers, 22-ounce bison coolers. They're good stuff. And until the next episode, see ya.